Chapter Seven of the Widow Married: A Sequel to the Widow Barnaby by Francis Milton Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven: A Romantic Adventure Which Does Now and Then Occur at Sea. Its Sentimental Consequences. Mister Allen O'Donagough Shaves Himself. A Discovery, but Attended with No Relief to Curiosity. A Farewell it happened one morning after rather a squally night that the youngest boy on board having been sent out to the extremest point of the bowsprit for the purpose of setting to right something that the blustering wind had made wrong became so entangled in the tackle and by his own unskilful attempts to set it right as to become too thoroughly puzzled to handle it in the usual way when taking an unsailor-like hold of some rope or other it failed him he lost his head and his footing together and with the piercing cry of a shrill young voice that made itself heard athwart the hoarse grumbling of the fretted sea dropped into the water happily the vessel was upon a tack and did not pass over him so that jack who heard the cry and sprung instantly to the ship's side saw the body rise at the distance of a few feet from him it is not by the result of that valuable process of mind called meditation that great deeds are done by men or boys either had jack meditated he would have remembered that he was by no means a very skilful swimmer and probably come to the conclusion that it would be unwise to put two human lives in jeopardy instead of one but as he did not meditate at all an impulse which if not better was decidedly stronger than reason caused him to jump upon the bulwarks and plunge into the sea after him in an instant three-fourths of the crew were hanging over the ship's side and eagerly handling ropes to throw after him the captain who had been among the first to see both the accident and the bold deed which followed could hardly have been more zealous in his efforts to rescue the lads if either or both of them had been his own with his own arm he seized the helm and put the ship about so skilfully as to bring her within a few feet of poor jack who was evidently struggling with difficulty to sustain the boy whom he had succeeded in catching hold of while with his other arm he laboured to approach and seize upon the friendly rope that had been sent to help him but the joint action of the wind and waves made this very difficult and had not the captain's first order which was to lower the boat been promptly obeyed jack would never have puzzled or pleased fair lady more as it was however the adventure ended in the very best style the young hero and his protege were both laid safely though perfectly insensible upon the deck with all the passengers and nearly the whole crew gazing upon them with all sorts of affectionate and admiring looks but beyond all question the person most acutely interested in the scene was miss martha o'donagough like all other good female sailors this young lady had a strong aversion to remaining below and no sooner had the wind sufficiently abated to permit her to keep her feet upon the deck than coaxing the captain to withdraw for her at least his prohibition against the appearance of the ladies in rough weather she contrived to make her way to the side of the vessel and rolling herself up in her cloak with a firm grasp upon the bulwarks to enjoy the fresh breeze after a very sorry night together with the pleasant hope that her friend jack would presently see and approach her nor was she disappointed jack did see her and the next moment came laughing to her side declaring that she must be a mermaid to look so well and happy in such weather then followed some delightful fun in watching the frolics of the tempest-loving tribes who never condescend to visit the surface of the water when it is smooth and then jack helped to secure her bonnet more comfortably by putting a silk handkerchief over it and tying it under her chin and then her cloak wanted fastening and very often she was in danger of being blown backwards only jack was so kind as to prevent it in short miss martha was enjoying herself exceedingly when the cry of the falling boy smote their ears 
the violent movement occasioned by putting about the ship which she had to endure without any arm to help her threw her down and prevented her seeing either the floating body of the boy or the noble effort made by her companion to save him but no sooner had she recovered her feet and her hold upon the bulwarks to which she firmly clung notwithstanding the requests of many sailors that she would stand aside that she perceived all that had happened and from that moment ceased not to harass all around her by a succession of screams till the boat and the three men let down in her had done their work and the two rescued lads were stretched before her on the deck then she screamed no more friendship claimed its rights and undeterred by any idle scruples martha sat down upon the deck and placed the head of poor jack upon her knee avast my girl cried one of the men whose exertions had saved him he must not be stifled up that fashion but the cruel interference was of no avail for at that very moment jack opened his bright eyes and began very hopefully to look about him for a moment he seemed puzzled and the first symptom of recovered memory was a short quick question of where is the boy here jack here responded from all sides and the next feeling led as it seemed to a momentary communing within for he put his hands before his eyes and his lips moved but without uttering any sound some movement of the young girl then caused him to look up and he perceived where and how he was situated my dear little girl is that you said he in a voice that spoke much grateful feeling a jovial laugh and something very like a cheer from the surrounding group at once seemed to welcome their favourite back to life and to compliment the young lady upon her kindness jack at the same moment made an effort to rise and martha did the same so they stood up together both dripping wet with the sea-water and as neither mr nor mrs o'donagough had yet left their beds the captain took it upon himself to recommend that their daughter should go below and change her wet garments this tall stout and decidedly precocious young lady certainly never looked so nearly beautiful as she did at that moment much paler than usual with large black eyes that shone through genuine tears for she had truly been most terribly frightened and moreover a little abashed at her situation the young martha could hardly fail of appearing both fair and interesting to the eyes of her playfellow jack looked at her much more earnestly than he had ever done before and thought that she was not only the kindest-hearted little girl in the world but very handsome a fact of which perhaps he had never till that moment been sufficiently aware take care of yourself my dear child said he very kindly taking her by the hand but i must not touch you martha for if i do you will be wetter still and look to yourself jack replied martha with equal kindness i'll go and change if you will that's a bargain then he replied smiling but with very gentle feelings at her naivete and when we are all got dry again it will be something to talk about will it not martha smiled too and nodding to him with a look the kindness of which was no longer veiled by tears prepared to follow his advice and by the help of his steadying hand reached the companionway and descended this adventure could not easily be forgotten by either neither was it jack long considered martha as the kindest-hearted and prettiest girl in the world and martha considered jack as the perfection of sweethearts and the model of everything that was handsomest in the male creation this occurrence helped on at least to the young people the last lingering weeks of the voyage 
for not only did it as jack had prophesied give them something to talk about but the ardent gratitude of the fine lad he had saved and the daily increasing interest that martha testified for all that concerned him could not but touch so tender a heart as jack's who moreover always remembering that he was but a poor sailor-boy conceived a strong feeling of gratitude and esteem for the young girl whose unsophisticated nature led her so completely to overlook all distinctions of rank to mr and mrs o'donagough indeed all this produced no good effect but rather the contrary for jack grew tired of ship billiards and greatly preferred standing by his little friend martha as she sat perched upon the taffrail and with her strong clear voice sang love ditties to the fishes by the hour together and poor mrs o'donagough fared not at all the better for this additional leisure of her husband's for he was getting exceedingly restless rather bilious and now and then very cross so that considerably before they arrived at the port of london they both became aware that they had been shut up together quite long enough two trifling circumstances only both occurring within the last week caused a short intermission of poor mrs o'donagough's yawns by giving her something puzzling to think of the first of these was seeing her husband mr allen o'donagough mount the cabin stairs one fine morning with his face as cleanly shaved from top to bottom and from side to side as it was possible for a razor to do it not a trace not a vestige of either moustache or favori remained to show that the military glory of that expansive face had once been the change produced upon his countenance by this operation was very great and to say the truth by no means favourable for little as we may some of us admire the flashy look which every chevalier d'industrie can obtain by only restricting the office of his razor it is nevertheless certain that a great high-boned vulgar face like that of my heroine's present husband is in no degree improved by being rendered more broadly visible at the first glance his wife did not know him nor was it indeed till he had displayed the whole extent of his large white teeth in a smile produced by her unconscious stare at him that she did the time when she had almost worshipped the military insignia of his upper lip and doted on the copious manliness which veiled his ample jaws was certainly past probably never to return yet could she not look with indifference upon what appeared to her so terrible a falling off in the striking comeliness of his appearance she had hitherto never ceased to consider him as a remarkably dashing and fashionable-looking man but now her eyes as well as her heart told her that he was not so at all good heaven major allen was her first involuntary exclamation what on earth can have induced you to make such a figure of yourself the gentleman suddenly ceased to smile as she spoke and answered in a low growling voice which showed that he had not like samson lost his spirit with his hair and what madam can make you call me by a name which i have commanded you never to utter again poor mrs o'donagough was really frightened and notwithstanding the high spirit on which she prided herself condescended to say oh dear me mr o'donagough don't be angry i will never say it again upon my word and honour and nobody heard me you know that's a comfort but what did you cut off your beautiful whiskers for you are a fool mrs allen o'donagough was the short reply and never again was the circumstance alluded to between them but it cannot be supposed that mrs o'donagough forgot it or that she could avoid feeling rather uncomfortably anxious as to what motive could have induced so very handsome a man to disfigure himself so dreadfully if it had only been his moustaches thought she i should not have cared and indeed i know that it would have been perfectly necessary how else could he possibly pass himself off for the rev mr o'donagough 
no reverends ever do wear moustaches that's quite true but those beautiful whiskers that gave him so completely the air of a man of fashion there could have been no occasion to shave them i know the irregular clergy like my last poor o'donagough wear whiskers quite as often as not not little shabby whiskers either such as a bishop might wear and no harm done but just such full noble whiskers as the ma as this foolish man wore however it's no good to fret if anything was to happen to him and i was to marry again i'd take good care to know if twas in the old world or the new whether there was any likelihood of the man's wanting to scrape his skin for all the world like a pig prepared for roasting this one only wants singeing a little to make him perfect the other circumstance which tended in some degree to relieve the wearisome tedium of mrs o'donagough's last few days at sea was something like a discovery which she at last made respecting the young sailor lad called jack by special agreement mr and mrs o'donagough and their daughter dined in the cabin and at the table of the captain though like all other passengers on board they furnished their own provender but a few pounds additional to their passage money had secured to them the dignity of this privilege which was the more precious because shared by no other passenger from some suspicious reason or other which captain wilkins had never explained his dinner hour and consequently that of the o'donagoughs had been changed after they came on board and fixed considerably earlier than before dining however is so welcome an amusement on board ship that nobody complains of its coming too soon and the alteration was never objected to the weather during the whole passage having been with few exceptions remarkably fine it was the custom of the o'donagough family to repair to the quarter-deck as soon as the dinner was over and there indulge in nibbling biscuits and sipping toddy miss patty during this hour of systematic gossiping fared not so well as her parents for to do her justice she was not at all fond of toddy and jack of whom she certainly was very fond for some reason or other was never visible on the deck at these times that he was indeed not on deck little patty was perfectly competent to declare for more than once had she vainly traversed its entire length from stem to stern in search of him she could not unfortunately penetrate to any of the mysterious recesses below that she had with some little difficulty been made to understand was impossible but she would willingly have ransacked the cabin and all its dependencies in search of her friend only she found upon once attempting the experiment that the door was locked these efforts to find her playfellow however and the disappointment which attended them were alike confined to her own bosom and as her father was as we have seen very comfortably engaged and her mother if possible still more so for she took her biscuits and toddy from the luxurious couch of coats and cloaks heretofore described the absence of the lad at this hour constant and regular as it was had never been noticed by either it so happened however the very day on which the atalanta entered the british channel the weather being beautifully calm and the sea as yet in no degree affected by the narrow and troublesome path it had got into that mrs o'donagough feeling herself particularly well and lively scorned the repose offered by her cloaks and coats and trotted down the cabin stairs in search of a basket in which many hourly requirements were stowed and among others the last letter of her niece mrs general hubert to this letter it must be confessed she had made very frequent allusion during the passage whenever she could get anybody to listen to her 
but nevertheless she wished to consult it again now because it contained something about her darling great-niece elizabeth the eldest daughter of her beloved agnes and often as she had read the letter she could not as she assured mr o'donagough exactly recollect whether the dear girl was thirteen or only twelve and a half as it was mrs o'donagough's luxurious custom to wear list shoes on board she went down the companion-way with very little noise and applying her hand to the lock of the cabin door it turned and admitted her great indeed was her astonishment at what she saw before her the usual cabin dinner-table was covered with a marvellously clean cloth on which was spread with great attention to neatness and even some display all the requisite for a substantial repast a single glance it was to be sure a long and steady one sufficed to show mrs o'donagough that not only great pains had been bestowed upon the dressing it but that the articles of which it was composed were of the most delicate quality that a long voyage can permit two bottles of wine flanked the single plate to supply which the various dainties were prepared and before that plate sat jack yes it was jack jack in solitary state in his usual nautical and not over-clean exterior garments but with the air of being most perfectly at his ease and of feeling himself anything but an intruder in the place he occupied at sight of mrs o'donagough however his colour certainly mounted considerably and he rose so suddenly and with an air so vexed and confused that had she not known the captain's dinner to have been long over she might have been tempted to believe that the lad was caught in the act of pilfering what had been prepared for his betters but as it was she stood perfectly amazed astounded petrified and puzzled many weeks had passed since she had ceased to trouble herself about jack and his unsailor-like ways for finding it impossible to discover the secret she gradually became convinced that there was none and all interest in him had died away accordingly an additional reason for which might probably be that the lad never by any chance came near enough to speak to her if it could by possibility be avoided but now all this reasonable and dignified tranquillity of spirit was again destroyed that there was something very particular indeed in the situation of jack it was impossible to doubt but to discover what was beyond her power the youth having mumbled something about having a joke with the captain passed by her and mounted the stairs leaving her to all the torments of unassisted conjecture from which the most accurate examination of the relics of jack's banquet could not relieve her in fact the only thing she could find worthy of arresting her attention was a silver fork this she discovered on examination was made to receive the blade of a knife into its handle and a little further search enabled her to discover the said knife also and to ascertain that it not only fitted nicely but that the style and workmanship of this bit of travelling luxury was of a costly kind for mere curiosity's sake she would have liked well enough to put the united articles into her pocket but as the lively thought arose the recollection that she was on board a ship coming from botany bay came with it and she discreetly laid the pretty things where she had found them retaining only the interesting fact that they were both marked with the letter s from that hour to the end of the voyage which was just five days including the passage up the river poor mrs o'donagough was never able to obtain from any one the slightest glimmer of light on this mysterious subject as the vessel passed sheerness a boat was sent on shore in which she perceived through the cabin windows as the little craft passed astern that a great quantity of luggage had been stowed 
unluckily for poor mrs o'donagough she was at the moment busily employed in some necessary packing operations which the approach to land rendered indispensable and her view therefore of this parting boat was so indistinct that she did not recognise the brown curls and blue eyes of jack under the foraging cap that was seated at the stern neither did she from the same unlucky accident witness the very affectionate farewell exchanged between this provoking boy and the whole of the ship's crew there was another farewell rather more affectionate still which also she did not see but it was not only her being in the cabin which prevented this for it was behind a heap of canvas which concealed them from all eyes that jack gave a parting kiss to patty End of chapter seven